It has been two weeks since LSU claimed the 2023 National Women's Basketball Championship in Dallas, Texas. And our heads are now spinning because it is portal time and so much more. We're going to break it all down here right on Lockdown Women's Basketball. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Monday, friends. It is April 17th, 2023. Happy to be back here on a Monday with you. Tax day is tomorrow, so I hope everybody is frantically getting their everything in line. I am Missy Heydrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent here at the Next. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com promo code locked on. Well, we have reached what we call the quote-unquote off-season of college basketball, but let's face it, there really is no off-season anymore. Now with this little thing that we call the transfer portal, we've got some major surprises that have popped in the past few weeks, some expected moves probably, mm -hmm. and then the ripples that leave some of those moves and the wake from them. And oh, the lights are ready to get turned on at the WNBA and training camps all over the nation. So get ready, friends. We've got a lot to talk about. And here to join me today, one of my amazing colleagues at The Next, Michelle Smith, longtime women's basketball sports journalist and who has spent some time at this year's NCAA tournament sites mm -hmm. across the spring. She had a front row seat, and she now sees some of these moves within the portal right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Hello, Michelle. Happy Monday to you, my friend. Um, it seems as though we, as I said, there is really no off season anymore. And we right. could talk about the training side of the world as it relates to college athletics and what that looks like for student athletes. But the off season always seemed to be sort of the rebuild, the reset for coaches and programs. But now with the portal, this is a constant move. It is 24 seven, 365, just like us here at the next. Right. But with that said, there just doesn't seem to be that, that gap. And, I think there's been some surprises over the last couple of weeks and some things that are kind of starting to turn some heads as people say the landscape of college basketball is always, always changing. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, I think we had a thousand, more than a thousand kids in the portal last year. We've got more than a thousand kids in the portal this year. Um, we've had coaches talk about how as soon as the season's over, not only are you trying to recruit new players, but you're recruiting your own players to come back. Um, and I think that that's a bigger part of the equation, even this year, maybe than it was last year, if that's possible. Um, because it's just very easy for a player to decide, I'm going to go try a new situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talk, we can, you know, there's so many elements to this. There are, you know, the things that I've been thinking about are, you know, the kids that make a decision to find a new situation 
and don't end up with a great offer and were probably better off where they were, but now their coach maybe doesn't want them because they put themselves in the portal. And I wonder, like, I want to look at numbers and see how often that's happening where kids are just, you know, where they're going into the portal and they're being left with not a lot of good choices. And then they're scrambling to be someplace they didn't at all want to be because they went into the portal. I'm thinking about the disruptive nature that this brings to programs when you've got six and seven, and in the case of some schools, almost your entire roster going. And, you know, the snowball effect of two or three kids go, and then their friends, those two or three kids go, oh, well, if my friends aren't here, then I'm out too. And then all of a sudden you're a program with, you know, a handful, if you're lucky, of kids left on your roster. You know, I know we talk about coaches and the coaches and the freedom that they have to pick up and move, but the reality is this is not a coach. This is not coach advocacy. This is just reality. Coaches generally don't pick up and move every year. Right. And there is one coach and a staff, obviously, but there are what, 13 to 15 basketball players. And when half of those rosters are moving, like the, just the disruption to teams and programs and conferences, like, I just don't, I think we're starting to see the scope of this sort of freedom of movement. I think we are getting hints of it. And I think we're getting more this year. And I just wonder how far it's going to go before there's going to be some guardrails around this. The number of times a player can transfer. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't transfer until after your this season. And I understand like, you know, this is about total player autonomy right now, Mm -hmm. but it's really, really disruptive to the game. And, you know, some people think it's great. Some people think it keeps eyes on women's basketball during a period of time when there aren't usually eyes on women's basketball. But I think over time, there's going to be a degradation, I think, in either the quality of play or you're going to see some of our legendary coaches say, I'm not doing, I did not sign up for this. And there can be some really good jobs open in the next couple of years. I mean, there's a lot to this and we're seeing it happen, I think, in real time at a speed that just makes your head spin. Well, it absolutely does. All right. I've had a couple of people ask me, you know, why all of a sudden, right after, you know, as the NCAA tournament is getting started, how does the portal happen? Well, that goes back to the NCAA adopting some changes in August, September of 2022. They put did put some quote unquote guardrails. I don't know if we can call them more just regulatory aspects into the process for winter sports. It's a 60-day window that begins the day after the championship selections are made. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when that NCAA tournament field of 68 bracket went out, then the portal was open. Mm -hmm. Now, we had kids jump in the portal prior to that at semester. That still happens if they have a a waiver or Mm -hmm. what have you. We know that postgraduate students, that deadline to enter the portal for fall and winter sports is May 1st. So there's a lot of different layers to this. And the COVID year. Absolutely. So now you've got not only as we swing one direction with the postgrad grad transfers, but we still are watching this slew of student athletes all across the country in every sport, men's and women's, have that extra year of eligibility. You throw in the NIL conversation as well. That changes, I think, where people go. My question to you is, and we're seeing this, and we'll talk about your article in just a little bit as well. No one's immune to it. But as we look at the portal being on display, I think LSU was a fantastic example of 
a quick program build by Kim Mulkey going into the portal and finding the right players. Sometimes you hit lightning in a bottle and she absolutely may have done that and getting herself a national championship just in the second year at LSU. But we think about coaches leaving people making job changes, one or two jumps down the road. But then my question to you is when we see the numbers and it could be coming from a program, um, specifically in your neck of the woods, let's say Mm -hmm. a PAC 12 program, Mm -hmm. Do we look at that as more of a red flag, i.e. culture question, or is this just still, hey, I can go because I can go, or do we need to dig deeper a little bit in what are some of the underlying currents? Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the answer to that question yet because it's because the kids do have such a freedom Mm -hmm. to be able to make decisions. I think they may many of them may be making decisions for different reasons. The kid next to them is making a different a decision different than the reason than the kid next to them, right? right? There are some of the elite kids who may be making NIL decisions. Mm-hmm. The school doesn't have a collective. This school doesn't isn't going to get me NIL deals. They could be making playing time decisions and saying, hey, I could be starting on another, in another program and here I'm learning off the bench and I want my minutes. And so, you know, it could be, I'm not, I'm not vibing with this coach or I miss home. And I have the opportunity to go closer to home. And I didn't realize that it was going to be so tough to be far away from home. And in previous years, when they couldn't move around, they kind of had to gut those things out. Not the NIL specifically, but some of the other stuff, coaching relationships, homesickness, um, playing time, you know, a development that's slower than they expected because they were a high school star and they thought they were going to come in and make a big impact. Like all of those things were much more, you know, they were a slow brew, right? And now now they can change. Now they can make decisions. So I don't think it's hard for me right now to assess culture when I think that kids are making decisions for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of that can be coaching relationships and some of that could be related to culture. And then some of it, like I said before, is also a snowball effect. If you have a couple of kids that go for their own reasons, but those were your besties and you decide that if they're not there, you don't want to be there either. Then all of a sudden you have sort of a mass exodus and people are going to question culture. Like, I just don't know that we can fairly answer those questions or start to paint programs with a brush yet. And, you know, you talk about what Mulkey did at LSU. Remember, even when the rules were a little more restrictive, but they opened up the grad transfer process, Mulkey was out front and grabbing grad transfers that really helped her team. I mean, yeah. when they won the title a few years ago, she had grad transfers on that team that yes. really came in and made a difference. So Mulkey was one of those coaches who was ahead of the curve and saying, I can bring in talent and I can put this together. And she seems to be a bit of a chemist in that way, right? Like she can bring those kids in, she can make them play together and she gets results out of it. So this for her, you know, like this slides right into what she's already been doing well. But, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, is every elite kid in the country going to want to go to the same three schools because they think that they want to win a natty? Because LSU's only got so many roster spots. Exactly. Carolina's yeah. only got so many roster spots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's just interesting that some of the biggest names and the thing, like they're looking at the same schools. Yeah. And, you know, you think that they're looking at it because they're like, that's my chance to win a natty. That's my chance for NIL. That's my chance for whatever. But there are only so many spots at those schools. Yes, absolutely. All right. We are going to talk about some of those major moves and some of the names that we are still out there that haven't necessarily found a home when we come back. But before we do that, a little bit more about the portal. And our first message today is from our friends at Prize Picks. Okay, so how does this work? Well, you are going to pick 
two to six players. And if they go score more or less in their prize picks projection, then you win up to 25 times your money on entry. No competing against other people. It's literally just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. Right now, it's going to be the NBA, MLB, NHL playoffs, PGA golf, whatever that is for you. The NBA playoffs are kicking off. And in Michelle's neck of the woods out west, I would go maybe with someone like LeBron or maybe to somebody for the Kings. Those would be the names I would put in to my prize picks. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Saved and fast withdrawals and currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. And if you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Hello, everyone. I am Missy Heydrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Every day or tomorrow on the show, more women's basketball coverage with our fearless leader, Howard Megdahl. Mm -hmm. I am here with Michelle Smith, and we are talking about the NCAA transfer portal. It is a wild, wild west, as a lot of coaches have said, that they that's kind of how they view it, Michelle. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, really no one is immune. You wrote an article just a week or so ago about the fact that we're seeing something in in mass out of Stanford, which really has been something that hasn't happened a lot there. Um, and the fact that they've got multiple players in the portal, including the number one recruit out of high school just a year ago. What does this say maybe just about that landscape and some of the trends that we're seeing? Is there something more that you see happening within what's this, this Stanford program? Yeah. I mean, Stanford used to be a place where kids went in and they didn't come out until they came out with that Stanford degree. And that was important to the kids. That was important to their parents. That was part of Tara's selling point. Tara Vanderveer is a Hall of Fame coach. She is not an easy, not the easiest coach to play for. She is demanding. She is, you know, we, you know, through the years, I think she's mellowed a little bit, but she's still one of the toughest coaches out there. And obviously she produces teams that go far every season, but you used to go to Stanford and you didn't come out. And she would tell me, if I make a recruiting mistake, I have to live with it because they're not going anywhere. Right. You know, if I pick, if I find somebody and it turned out that they weren't a good fit or they just aren't going to play a lot, they're going to stay because they want their degree. And I, you know, we've seen mostly out of Stanford over the last few years, we've seen grad transfers. Mm -hmm. We've seen over, I mean, it's happened. It, you know, Lily Thompson and Maya Dodson and Marta Sneezik all went to Notre Dame they had one transfer last year that was not a grad transfer um, that went at Yana that went ended up going to Baylor. Um, but there's it's not Stanford's not been immune to people transferring, but largely it's been in the graduate space. Mm -hmm. And to have the number one recruit in the country go, to have two other players, um, Agnes Emanopo, who's a junior, and um, India Nybar, a freshman, so part yeah. of the class that came in with vets, to have them go, you know. Those end up being surprises, I think. And they tell you that the landscape is changing. And, you know, I will say, you know, like it sounds like Nybar may be headed back to the East Coast. She's a North Carolina kid. And, you know, she may be headed back that direction. I'm not sure yet where Amanopu ends up. 
And, you know, bets is a big one. And it'll be yeah. really interesting to see where bets ends up because at six, seven, Tara said she'd be starting for a lot of teams in the country, but she was playing behind a really deep experienced mm-hmm. post rotation at Stanford with Cameron Brink and Fran Belibi and Ashton Prechtel and again, Kiki Oyofen. Like they had a lot of kids and Betts was getting minutes, becoming more productive, but she, you know, but she decided that moving out was the best thing for her. And so it's just really interesting in a place like Stanford where that degree is absolutely, you know, the thing that people really, really want to get in addition to a great basketball experience, obviously. Right. But, you know, if even Stanford is going to see <laughs> players leave, then this is really, really is the wild, wild west. Yeah, you got that right. Now, one other name that has struck me also, I think, not could have been a surprise for some, but again, I, I, I'm at the point now where really any name that I see that jumps in the portal, I'm not surprised because, you, again, as we mentioned earlier, we're not 100% sure what the motivation for each one of these young people is going to be, mm-hmm. whether it's the playing time, the relationships, the spot. There's a, a host of things that go into those decisions. But Jada Curry, after leading Cal the last two seasons as their top scorer, she goes into the portal. She has found a home. She is committed to Jeff Walls in Louisville, who, by the way, is losing Haley Van Lith, who mm-hmm. really may be one of the biggest surprises mm-hmm. that we saw coming into the portal. Um, just your thoughts on the move by Jada Curry, what that means not only for Cal, but is Louisville going to be a good spot for her to land, you think? Well, I'm not surprised about Jada Curry. Um, Jada Curry was the Pac-12 freshman of the year, co-freshman of the year, and led the conference in scoring on a team where she needed to lead her team in scoring, Mm -hmm. um, where she needed to put up a lot of points. I mean, it's been a really rough, since the COVID years, it's been a rough go for Cal. They had games canceled. They had COVID issues. They had injury issues where they couldn't field enough players to put a team on the floor. You know, it's been difficult and, you know, and they lost players. They lost Delay Daniels to Washington, who was one of their best players last year. Like they're, they're having a rough go. And I think Jada Curry wants to go someplace where she's going to experience more success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so for me, her motivation for moving on is not super obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Walls has taken, I think, three players from Cal over the last few years in terms of transfers. So that does seem to be a little bit of a pipeline. Um players from Cal willing to go to Louisville, um, you know, where he's going to offer Jada a chance to play a big role and experience some more success. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. I don't know that Jada Curry replaces Haley Van Lith in terms of identity, in terms of that just sort of fiery identity. Haley Van Lith was a surprise because I don't know, I guess, but again, we're getting to the point, I think, where nothing's going to surprise. <laughs> no. <laughs> because, you know, you would, you know, you wonder, and the kids will tell you or they won't tell you, you know, why they decided it was time to move on um, and whether they're going to be honest about, you know, why they decided it was time to move on. But for the top line players in the country, I'm going to speculate and I'm going to say I'm going to speculate because otherwise I get accused of not really knowing. And you're right. I don't really know. But I think that the NIL pull is big. The the amount of money that these kids can make now in their collegiate careers is a big deal, especially if you're playing at the elite level, if you're going to be a high WNBA draft pick. And if you've got places that can offer you more NIL opportunity and a nest egg for you as you begin your pro career. And, you know, I think we just, they just valued, you know, Angel Reese's NIL is now up above, well, it's like 1.3 million as of yeah. a few days ago, right? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, 
there's really nothing you can. And you're right, Haley Van Lith, she has been, um, you know, from the get-go, incredibly active in the NIL space. She has done very well for herself. She will be able to take that with her to the next place. Sometimes it is just about making that next step, moving on, finding the right fit for a host of reasons. And we see that all the time. I'm. I, it brings me back to a, a conversation I had this winter with, and it was really around a group of men's basketball elite post players, all of whom came back for this past season, for the 22-23 season. Everyone assumed that they were going to go into the draft. Well, they didn't. Part of it was because of NIL. They were guaranteed more by staying in college for another year than possibly being a fringe draft or a two-way NBA contract. What's worth it to you? And I think we're seeing that squel- that that movement into the women's games, it's changing how people see it and how they do that. One thing I also want to point out to everybody, a question that I get is we see a lot of Ivy League players that pop at other schools for that fifth-year grad transfer. We saw someone like Abby Myers have a fantastic year at Maryland this past season after having finished at Princeton. Well, part of that reason is because the Ivy League does not allow for post-grad play, postgraduate student-athletes to compete. So once they're done with their four years, they graduate from their Ivy League institution, they have that year to be able to go somewhere else because mm-hmm. they've all got the COVID year. So right. we're still in this, this kind of pendulum movement going back and forth of people coming in and coming out, and we see it in a host of reasons. One that stuck to me, which I, um, there's been some movement at Oregon as well. And I just want to get your thoughts real quick, just in terms of Kelly Graves. Um, I think Oregon, Arizona, they've had quite a few players. Both both of those programs have had a lot of movement in the last three years. Like, you know, a, they, you know, if there were, they've been, uh, they've been examples of large scale player movement, I think nationally, um, and, and a lot of times, interestingly, in those programs, those kids have moved within the Pac-12. Yes. What I'm not seeing as much right now, at least in decisions that have or haven't been made, is that same movement within the conference. Like the Pac-12 mm-hmm. was saying, you know, the player movement is, you know, it is what it is, but at least they're staying here. Not seeing as much of that this year from the Pac-12. Yeah, and one of those I would point out to everybody out there, Sedona Prince, she did not play this past year at Oregon because she was out for the season with an injury. She goes into the portal. She ends up now into the Big 12 at TCU, mainly following Mark Campbell, who took that job. He had been an assistant in Oregon, recruited her there, went to Sac State for, I believe, two seasons, Mm -hmm. and now takes the head coaching job at TCU and snag Sedona Prince out of the portal. Those connections, they last a long time. As you said, you follow coaches, you follow players, you call up, follow friends that can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mark Campbell was at, you know, Mark Campbell was at Oregon state and then he moved to Oregon and that caused a big rift between those two coaches, Mark Campbell's movement between those two schools. He moved on to Sac state and he got him into the NCAA tournament two years. I mean, you know, Mark Campbell's at TCU because he got Sacramento state to the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, so now everybody's watching Tahina Pow Pow and India Rogers and trying to figure out where they may land based Mm -hmm. on the fact that Sedona was at TCU. I mean, if he lands, if based on the relationships he has with those players, he's able to land two of the three of them, or even in some scenario, three of the three of him, all of a sudden he's a player in the big 12 instantly. Absolutely. That would be a game changer in Fort Worth. No doubt about it. 
Okay, when we come back, Michelle has an insider's look at some news out of the WNBA last week. Not necessarily something that the average basketball fan would know a lot about, but we all should know a little bit more. And she's going to tell us why in just a moment. But first, from our friends at Built Bar, if you're looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all of the sugar and everything that goes with it, then you've got to try Built. If you're like me, you want to make healthier snack choices, we all want to do it. And Built Bars and Built Puffs are the way to go. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate, which is really hard to pass up. And they come in unbelievable flavors. I don't know how they do it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. What's even better, that they are healthy for us. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And now... You do not need to wait to buy a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four box or more. And if you are close to a Sam's Club, you can go in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, Brownie Batter Puff and Churro Puff. You will thank all of us later, I promise. Hello, everyone. I am Missy Heidrich. Thank you so much for joining us here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. And I am talking today with Michelle Smith, one of the esteemed women's basketball journalists out there. She has been doing this for a long, long time in a host of different ways and venues. And Michelle, you wrote an article just um, over the course of the past week. There was some news out of the WNBA. And I just want to talk about this because it is so fascinating to get your point of view when it's not necessarily something that the everyday fan or someone who follows sports is going to know a whole heck of a lot about. But the WNBA made some changes to their media policies and their access to players last week. And I want I would love for you to be able to share just your thoughts and where you landed in some of in this news and these changes that they've made. So the I want to explain the change first. So what the WNBA has done is they have changed their policy and they have closed their locker rooms to access to the press before the game and after the game. Um, what they're doing instead and what they're asking is they're going to increase the amount of access that's provided at practice and shoot arounds. Um, hoping that folks will get more time with players and coaches on those in those spaces. And they are going to do media um, media by request. They will still bring coaches and select players into post-game press conferences. But if there is a player that you want, they will go into the locker room, they will pull them out and you will do the lock, you will do the interviews in a hallway space or wherever, but they will go and get who you want and they will bring them out. Okay. It remains to be seen how well that's going to work. Um, and, and, and I'm just being honest, like, I hope that, you know, I do hope it goes well. I do want people to have access to players. I do want people to be able to write a story, not necessarily about the top two scores in every game who are sitting in front of you at a press conference, mm -hmm. but somebody else who's up and coming or some, you know, I mean, there are stories. Um, but what I wanted to share that day was sort of that I had a very quick sort of emotional reaction to it. Yeah. Um, understanding that in 30 years of sports writing, the locker room issue has been the thing that I talk, that I have talked to when I've talked to college classes, when I've had conversations with friends, when I've had the locker room topic as a, you know, as a woman working in sports media for the last 30 years, 
is the thing I've talked about probably more than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, people want to know why you got to, why do you need to be in there? What's the mm -hmm. space like? What, you know, I mean, it's just, it's this, you know, it's this point of interest and fascination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by and large, we've talked about, you know, my experiences working in um, men's professional sports and in the men's locker room space. But the idea that the WNBA, which would close those locker rooms, gave me, you know, just gave me a really specific reaction because I have an understanding going back a long time about how hard women had to fight for equal access to those spaces, mm -hmm. how there are legendary court cases, Melissa Ludke for the New York Times filing suit against Major League Baseball for access to that locker room, Claire Smith, who is a legendary baseball writer, you know, struggling to get access to the clubhouse in Major League Baseball. Then I, you know, cited some stories from personal friends, um, you know, Lisa Olson, who was with the Boston Globe, who was, you know, targeted for harassment by five players in that New England Patriots locker room. And that happened in 1990. So it's not top of mind for everybody. But right. that was an ugly situation that was perpetuated, you know, that was perpetuated against her in addition to the owner vilifying her, the fans vilifying her. And she literally left the country to reset her career for multiple years. She couldn't work here. And there was, um, you know, I have, you know, Susan Fornoff, who was a, one of the early female beat writers in Major League Baseball, who got a dead rat sent to her by Dave Kingman because she was in the clubhouse and he didn't like her being in there. And he mailed yeah. and he put a dead rat on the desk out her space in the press box. And she opened a gift and it, you know, like yeah. things happen, terrible things happened. And, you know, in my own space, I have my own stories, nothing to that degree, but I have my own stories about the ways in which your metal gets tested in that space yeah. and how you learn to operate in that space. But I always took a lot of pride in being able to tell people because they would invariably ask the question, if you can go into a men's locker room, can men go into the women's locker room? And I always took great pride in saying WNBA locker rooms are open and the players and the yeah. players make choices about when they get dressed, how they interact, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a different space. The media is not in there endlessly. These are not open-ended periods of time. There are right. specific dedicated periods of time. And if people are doing their jobs professionally, and that's my caveat, people are doing their jobs professionally. They are talking to players, they're getting what they need and they're getting out of the space. Yeah. But closing the door, I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to sort of put it out into the universe that there were women who fought really, really hard to kick, you know, to kick that door down for equal access. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just for the sake of being in there. It was because other people were in there and you were shutting the door on me. Yeah. That being said, there are a lot of good stories that you can get working in the locker room space. There's a lot of relationship building. There's a chance to talk yes. to players in a space where they might be more relaxed and more comfortable. And you're just getting to know, you know, and you're getting to know somebody. You're getting to see their experience a little bit in a way that you can share that you don't when that door gets closed. I hope what they're doing works. I just wanted people to understand that for women in sports media, that locker room space has been a source of, I don't know. It's been a source of a lot of stuff. I'm not very articulate about it this morning, but yeah. you know, <laughs> no, I think you're right. That door and closing that door has some history behind it. And I just want people to understand that.
No, absolutely. And everyone, I, I want them to go to visit us at thenexthoops.com, read oh. Michelle's article. My my last question to you on this topic would be this, and you're absolutely right. I think you see um, athletes, uh, especially professional athletes, uh, some don't do great at a dais or behind a podium. They are much more comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. or in a scrum outside mm -hmm. a locker or where what have you. We see that all the time. Um, and this is in totality, it maybe, um, has the overarching concepts of what women, rep female reporters and women in journalism have done in professional sports for, you know, decades and decades, but keeping in mind as well, as you said, that there are men that are going to be working in the WNBA space over the next year or two or three or five. And there's a, there is a dedicated band of people that are, are really want to see the growth of this professional league happen. So in your opinion, does this, does this hamper what needs to be happening in terms of promoting and putting the WNBA in the right spaces at the right time? Are they hurting themselves in making this decision? It depends. Um, I don't think that's a clear cut answer yet okay. because this is in theory, a trial and they're going to see how it goes. Okay. Um, I do. I do want to say that I understand and I have spoken to some players and spoken to some player union reps who have said that the space has begun to feel invasive, that it appears that there are people in there who aren't working to their eyes and okay. that they don't understand, you know, they don't understand why certain people are there, that they are. I've heard literally that they will give the quick answer try and get it over with and try and get the media out of there and close the door as quickly as possible because they are not comfortable in the space. And I don't want that for them. Right. I don't, I, I don't think any of us want that for them. No. But I feel like there was another solution here. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a conversation. I feel like there were trusted media friends who would have offered some perspective and perhaps that happened and I'm not aware of it, but I feel like there was perhaps a middle ground solution here that we could have got to before you close the door, because I think that you, we are going to miss some things, no, um, whether they hamper the growth of the game, whether the players own social media, which we didn't have when I was doing this 25 and 30 years ago, we didn't, players didn't have their own vehicles the same way they do now. So yeah. whether this is just a loss for the media or a loss for the league, I think remains to be seen. And I want to be fair about that. I don't want to make any blanket, you know, pronouncements that I know how this is going to go. I don't know how it's going to go. And it could end up just being a media loss. And that will be, you know, and that will suck. I don't know how else to say it. Right. But no, I think you're right. And I think that's what we have to be able to keep our eyes on. And you have to, we have to turn our attention to that to see where this takes us going forward. That's all, that's all we can do. They've made a decision. They're going to stick by the decision in a trial sense or whatever that is. So now we got to let it play out. And as it plays out, we're going to know more. I think mm -hmm. we'll be able to see and understand where these decisions land and what it does to not only promotion of the game, coverage of the game, but how people on the outside see it as well, because not everybody's on the inside. Not everybody has the ability to be in that locker room or part of those conversations from the start. Right. Uh, all right, Michelle Smith, uh, thank you so much, my friend, for joining me here today on what I know is a crazy Monday for everybody out there. Mm -hmm. Like I said, tomorrow is tax day. Everybody file, get in it. You've got till midnight. I don't want anybody to be caught off guard. 
Um, you can follow me at Missy Hydric on Twitter. Please join and see all of my amazing colleagues. Follow us at thenexthoops.com. That's where you will receive or read Michelle's wonderful work. And follow this podcast at Locked on WBB. You can follow Michelle at MaxSmith413. She's got a busy, crazy day today, and I know more and more going on, but I do appreciate her being there. So thank you, Michelle. Thanks, all. All right. Come back all this week for more college basketball news and notes, international basketball, and, of course, some of the best WNBA coverage anywhere. We have it for you here at The Next and Locked on WBB. Thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. As we said, more women's basketball coverage with Howard Megdal. I'll see you all in a few weeks. Thank you for listening and for watching.